Let's just sing. There we go. Well, good morning, church. Everybody alive today? Hallelujah. Anybody need a Bible today? If you do, we want to get one directly in your hands so you can follow along. So don't be nervous about or I don't know what we got going on. We got a repeat, looks like here. No, man, what's going on, man? (laughs) All right, guys. You still alive? Okay. Then let's take our Bibles and turn in them to the book of 1 Corinthians today. We'll look at the last half of the 14th chapter, verses 20 through 40, in a message that I have entitled, The Essentials of Edification. So, with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you again just for your faithfulness to meet with us, to minister to us, Lord, to speak by your spirit, through your word. And today we pray, God, that we would just have ears to hear you, that you would bring, uh, Lord, just clarity, uh, Father, that there would just be a, a change in our hearts and in our lives because we've spent time with you, we focused on you, God. It's our desire to be found well-pleasing to you. So with that, we give this time to you. We pray, God, just have your way in Jesus' name, amen. Let's recall to mind the essentials of edification. Do you remember what they are? There's two things. Uh, Number one, understanding. Number two is order. In the first half of this chapter, Paul really emphasized how critical understanding is. If edification, that is the building up and strengthening of the church, uh, is to occur. That is, if you can't understand me, then you cannot effectively learn from me. You know, I'm not going to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus if you can't comprehend what I'm communicating. And so here in the second half of the chapter, Paul is going to highlight the essential need for order. Now, I should also say this, that we're going to come across a a little portion in this passage that's probably, at least to me, one of the most problematic passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament. You know, from a uh, how is it that we are supposed to interpret this kind of perspective. And I just want to be honest with that from the onset here. I trust that when we read through it, you'll understand what I mean by it. But let's turn our attention beginning in the 20th verse of the 14th chapter uh, where we read, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Now again, we remind ourselves that he's, the context here that he's speaking into is how to conduct ourselves in the collective gathering as the church. And we want to be wise in understanding what the way is that the Lord would have us to come together, things that would cause our time to be fruitful. In other words, what we don't want to do is waste people's time or God's time in ineffective or even counterproductive practices. You know, it was drawn to my attention years and years and years ago, just in passing, I think I was at a pastor's conference or something, someone was talking about it, and I just kind of like it stuck to me that with regard to the reality that when we come together, say there's 50 people, there's 100 people, there's 200 people, whatever the case may be, and I have them or whoever has them in a teaching capacity for about an hour, let's just say an hour for the sake of simplicity, well that represents if there's 50 of us or 100 of us or 200 of us, that represents collectively an accountability for 200 of God's hours, you see that? 
And so uh, that's a lot of time to be accountable for. And so the question is, how are you going to invest that? In what way are you going to be able to get the most return from a kingdom agenda kind of perspective out of that? That collective unity of 200 hours, you see. Now, if you're spending your time with everyone talking in tongues and no one understanding what the person is saying and it's general chaos and it's confusion, and of course I'm using the illustration of tongues because that's the topic that Paul is addressing in this chapter, you know, well, then he would say that's an unfruitful waste of our time and of God's time. Better to not be immature, doing ineffective, self-centered, unfruitful things. Instead, Paul says, utilize the time to teach others. Bring understanding to the heart of God. Interpretation and application to the word of God. Equip the saints. Feed the sheep, strengthen the hands that hang low that we might be salt and light in an otherwise dark and dying world. Something that we so desperately, it would seem, need today now more than ever. And if you want to be immature or unlearned in something, Paul says, well, don't let it be in understanding the way that you're to conduct your public gathering, but rather let it be, he just says, in malice, that is in worldliness or wickedness or depravity, perversion, you see. Paul, he's sharing this point that he's also shared with the Romans when he said, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple, or innocent concerning evil. In other words, listen to me, family. God has a higher calling for you than to be a bottom feeder, familiarizing yourself with the the ways and the filth of this world. We're to grow up in Christ. We're to learn what it means to be mature men and women of God. And the way that we do that is through studying, understanding, and applying his word, you see. Now, in verse 21, he says, in the law, so he's going to begin to kind of underscore this whole idea of how we're to use our time in a way that promotes both understanding, order, leading to edification. He says, in the law it is written... With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all of that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I trust that now you can see how this appears to be a problematic passage for a fellow like me. I mean, it's left to me to try and explain what looks like a direct contradiction when in verse 22, Paul says that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. And then in verse 23, he kind of turns around and says, if you're all speaking in tongues and an unbeliever enters the assembly, they're going to think you're nuts. Now, um, 
Verse 23 makes perfect sense to us, doesn't it? I mean, everybody is kind of, you know, speaking in tongues. Someone walks in, they don't uh, know what's going on, and these guys have lost their mind, you know. It's how verse 22 fits into that that leaves us kind of, you know, scratching our heads. Personally, I believe verse 21 is key in giving us direction here. Now, and I should also say this, I'm open to my handling of this passage. Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. Maybe I don't understand it right. I'm going to do my very best for you, but you know, hey, look, if you have, and I say this in honesty and in humility, perhaps you've studied it thoroughly and you have an understanding that'll bring simplicity and clarity, please share it with me after service, okay? Now, I should also say this, that J.B. Phillips, how many of you have heard of J.B. Phillips? A couple of you, a few of you. He's a, he's a respected Greek translator, uh, and he finds this passage to be so counterintuitive that he actually believes that there was some point along the way was a copyist error, okay? And that could be. Now, he believes that somewhere early on, Uh, There was the scribe writing down, copying Paul's letter, and he just simply got the believer-unbeliever emphasis out of order. And that's why Paul says that tongues will necessarily turn unbelievers off, but prophecy can bring about conviction and conversion. Now, he doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit made an error. We all believe emphatically in the infallibility and the inerrancy of the original manuscripts. But perhaps the copyist made an error. It's possible. And I'll just leave you with that, and you can do with that what you will. You can research that how you would like. The other thought, I believe, finds its key in verse 21. And Paul here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28. But guys, you need to understand this. The quote when he says, as it is written, I will, uh, with men of other tongues and lips, I will speak to this people. And you know, for all of that, they won't hear me. Uh, This is not a, a, a quote that brings about something positive, you see, when he, when he quotes this. To the contrary, it points to the judgment of Israel. And God, in this Isaiah 28 passage, you know, he had tried to speak to the nation of Israel over and over again, sending them prophets, and they just weren't having it. They weren't listening to it. And so God says, I'm going to allow, essentially, I'm paraphrasing so that you don't have to, you know, go through the entire history, but I'm going to allow Assyria to invade you, and they will lead you off into captivity, and then you will be forced to listen to a language that you can't can't comprehend. You see, you don't understand it. In other words, God's saying, if you're not going to listen to what I'm saying to you plainly and clearly in your own language, then I'm going to give you over to a language that you don't understand. And even at that, it's not going to jar you into sobriety, you know, so to speak. Yet for all that, they still will not hear me. Okay. So in other words, this other languages, these tongues that would be present among them would be a sign, but it wasn't a good sign. Are you following me? It was a sign of judgment uh, that God had rejected them. Here's the point. We can have a tendency to think of a sign as being something that you know, causes people to believe. In reality, a sign is, is just something that sends a message. And in the case of Isaiah 28, the sign that was being sent with a message was that God was judging them, that is Israel, 
And the Assyrians speaking to them in a strange language was the witness that they were under God's judgment because they wouldn't respond to the message brought to them in their plain language. And so Paul could simply be saying the fact that unbelievers don't understand what's going on when someone is speaking in a tongue, it only testifies to the fact that they're under the judgment, they're under the condemnation of God rather than under the deliverance or salvation of God, just as that's what the foreign tongue reflected or testified to in unbelieving Israel. They didn't understand what's happening. This means they were under God's judgment. So it's a sign not that leads the unbeliever to believe, but draws into the light for them the fact that they really don't believe. Does that make sense? Guys, I'm gonna be honest with you. That's about the best I can do with this, okay? Um, Either way, as you go on with this passage, his point becomes abundantly, evidently clear. And that is that tongues will not lead to the edification of a mixed assembly, believers and unbelievers, okay? Now, believers may think it's real neat. Unbelievers will think you've lost your mind. Uh, Again, which serves to testify to the fact that they don't know the Lord, they don't understand the ways of the Lord. But it can drive a wedge between them and the Lord. And God would have you and me, as we gather collectively, the idea is to build bridges, not drive wedges. Does that make sense? Well, how can we do that? Uh, by sharing the heart of God through the plain and easily understandable Word of God, which is essentially what you have in prophecy. Okay? Tongues let's be clear, will edify the individual personally. We've already gone over that in in previous studies. But prophecy will be beneficial for the entire assembly, okay? For the believer, as we learned last week, it brings edification, exhortation, and comfort. If you weren't here, I'd recommend you download that study and get get a little bit deeper understanding into those things. For the unbeliever, It lends itself to personal inward examination and conviction leading to conversion, okay? And we're going to see that. Paul says, if an unbeliever joins your assembly and each of you, now he said, if you're all sharing in tongues, they're gonna think you've lost your mind, okay? But if you each share in the gift of prophecy, he says they'll be convinced, right, that God is with us, convicted, the secrets of their heart being revealed and converted, falling down on their face, confessing God is truly among you. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Guys, tongues do nothing to draw the unbeliever to God. If anything, they will turn him off or turn her away. But God's word searches the heart. Do you understand that? Remember Hebrews chapter four, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit. In other words, it gets right down in there and it splits the hair and of the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of both the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And there is no creature, believer, unbeliever, no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we not might but must give account. Why focus our time on things that only turn unbelievers off? Or testify to them that they don't understand the things of God. They must be headed for judgment. I guess I don't get it. I'm out. You see, this is crazy to me. Why not rather concentrate our efforts on things that will lead to edification, sanctification of the believer, and the salvation of the unbeliever? That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Tongues expose the unbeliever to a scene of seeming to a scene of seeming chaos. Prophecy brings them into an environment of conviction. Because God's word has the power to convince and to convict and to convert the soul. And by the way, As we'll see, when Paul speaks of everyone speaking in tongues or everyone prophesying, he means sequentially, not simultaneously. Okay? That's important. Verse 26, he says, How is it then, brethren... Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Family, that's the key. If you're the highlighter, if you're the note taker or the underliner, here it is, regardless of how you want to interpret the previous verses, this last sentence in this verse sums up the intent or the goal of our gathering together. Let all things be done for edification. As Paul put it in the book of Romans, he said, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Guys, that's the goal. Now, there are those who think verse 26 is a bit of a rebuke. You know, that Paul's like, hey man, how, what's going on? I mean, every, when you guys get together, like everyone's doing this, everyone's, you know, doing that, and, and kind of chiding them for all wanting a kind of a slice of the pie or their time in the limelight and all the focus on that. I, I don't think so. Um, based upon the context of coming out of chapters 12 and 13. I just don't believe that's the case. You remember back in chapter 12, in other words, what he's saying is, how, how, for instance, how does church How's your church service go, right? And and we're gonna get into this just a little bit. But back in chapter 12, he spent ample time developing the fact that each believer, each and every individual believer has been gifted by God, right? And you need to be, I, we need to be active in serving the body in order to edify or to build up, that is bring health and strength and growth to the body. Each one, each one of us are a member, just like a body. And remember that if any member of the body isn't functioning according to its role, you know, your liver decides it's going to kind of peace out on you, or your lungs decide, hey, look, I can't take that next breath, or whatever the case may be, I'm just done here. Well, that presents problems for the rest of the body, doesn't it? 
And so Paul isn't down on everyone's participation. Uh, Quite the opposite would be true. If you're not participating in any way, if you're idle with your engaging or enriching, remember we want to do more than just engage one another, we want to enrich one another, but if you're not participating in any way, Paul would want to talk to you about that. You know, God has entrusted a role a responsibility to you. He's invested the gifts of his spirit in you. The question is, what are you doing with it? Is God getting a return on it? Or is his investment in me, into my life, just lying dormant as I lethargically and apathetically just let life pass me by as I just feed from week to week? You see, Paul would have a problem with that. So what we have here is insight into the way a service was conducted in the early church. Everyone would be involved, guys. But what he's saying here, what Paul is saying here is what's going on is good. Everyone has a psalm or everyone has a, uh, you know, a word or, or everyone's participating. That's good. But the way it's going isn't good. There needs to be order to the service. Okay? Now let me remind you of this as well. You understand this, right? But sometimes we just need a reminder. The early church did not would not, in fact, could not meet like we meet here today, okay? Uh, They uh, didn't have sizable structures where tens or hundreds or perhaps even thousands can meet simultaneously. Now, they wouldn't say the way they met was better or worse or one was more spiritual than the other, but for practicality purposes, they just, it wasn't feasible. Uh, These kinds of facilities simply weren't available. And so they met in homes, often several homes scattered throughout the city, which would then help you also understand why, how it could so easily be that, especially Paul pointed out in the Corinthian church, there were so many divisions. You know, the, the, the group that really dug Paul were meeting over here in this home, and the ones who really liked Apollos were over here in this home, and you know, the ones who said, well, Peter, well, no, we're the Jesus-only folks, and, you know, and they were kind of meeting, and they were all kind of pulling apart in their own little cell groups and all, Uh, but uh, guys, but listen, even the homes of the wealthy, okay, uh, could host, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say at most, maybe 10, maybe 12 people, okay, they just didn't have these giant structures, and so in these small home group kind of atmospheres, there would be not only a freedom, but a responsibility to not just receive, but to to give, to contribute to the meeting, you see. And each person would contribute. One might read a psalm or sing a hymn. One might offer a word through teaching. Another might pray in a tongue. Another might share revelation, you know. And that's exactly how small groups, home groups, should function. As if you're in like a little men's group or you're in a little women's group or you're in a small group, a home group, there should be an allowance for this kind of participation, not just passive absorption or receiving only. Uh, Peter said it like this. He said, as each one, not just you know here and there or if you feel like it or maybe if you want to, but no, he says, look, each one has received a gift. 
So minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is also one reason, just so you know, and and hopefully we're going to be back on the startup of our home groups in the near, near future. But this is one reason why we try to keep home groups small. Because when you've got six people, or eight people, or 10, maybe maybe 12, that stretches it a little bit, let's go on up to 12, then each one can share with the others, you know? But when there's 25, or 35, or 40, or 100 people in a gathering, you know, or more, listen, time simply doesn't allow for that. Uh, But this is why small groups can be such a dynamic environment for spiritual growth, okay? The context is perfect for each one sharing something with everyone else. Now, of course, there has to be a little bit of caution there as well, doesn't there? Because, you know, you, sometimes that person that's got a poor doctrinal understanding, they'll try and kind of jockey for position, try and dominate the meeting and all, and you have to be able to kind of bring correction and steer the ship back into the safe waters and all of that. But generally speaking, these small gatherings, these small groups can be a great blessing to the body of Christ. Well, you, well, that's real neat, preacher, but how does that, you know, how does that apply? How does that impact? How do, you know, how do we handle that? What's it look like in a larger gathering or on a Sunday morning kind of a scale? Well, listen, we can't each share with everyone. Terry, you want to come share a few minutes? I didn't think you would, but, uh, you know, or Jenny or Justin and, you know, Isaiah and Missy, and, you know, and, and all of a sudden each person gets three minutes, and now all of a sudden, we, I mean, we're here till tomorrow morning, right? And that's if the person that only keeps to three minutes, because typically they, they think they're really scared, and then they start talking, and then you can't get them to quit, right? You're like, we know you're doing it now. Be that as it may. Here's the deal. We can't each share with everyone, but we can each share with someone, and that should be purposed on our hearts to do just that. Have the mentality, purpose in your heart, you see. I'm not coming to church to only receive a blessing, but I won't leave until I've been a blessing, okay? Think of the 2020 opportunity that's before you every week, you see. 20 minutes before the study. Listen, I get it. You're running late. You're lucky to get here by 10. Maybe you walk in at 10.05 or you're thinking, ah, the music's too loud for me. I'll show up at 10.25 or, you know, whatever. And I understand all of that. But there's a bigger picture than that. Because why? It's not about me, you see. And so there's this idea of, think about 20 minutes before the study, the 20, maybe 30 minutes after the study, guys, can be some of the most opportunistic and dynamic times of ministry in the church. It's when you're engaging one another. It's when you're praying for one another. 
It's when you're loving on and ministering to one another. Guys, you see someone, they're sitting over there by themselves, their heads down. There should be three or four people scrambling to get over there to pray for that person or ask them how they're doing, how was their day, you know, what's going on, and this and that, and engaging, and they listen, you know, and just sharing. Listen, refuse to come and go without acknowledging you know, anyone else. I'm just not going to go and, and not acknowledge, I'm, you know, kind of stay in my own little bubble of comfort. Go in, keep my head down, hear the study, get out. Don't do that. Listen, I understand that. It's, it's natural, but God wants to use your life in a supernatural kind of a, of a way. He wants to get us outside of that kind of that comfort zone and kind of step out on the waters. Does that make sense? And I encourage you just to take that step of faith and just say, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm going to in, engage someone today and I'm going to ask God that like, it not only be engaging but like that it be enriching because it's out of my love for God and my desire to please God. I just, I just want to bless somebody. God, would you use me that way? And it's okay just to step up and go, hey, guys, you know, Kendall, what's going on? Any way I can pray for you? Yeah, my back's really hurting. Cool, I want to pray for you right now. You know, or whatever the case may be. Well, no, nothing? Well, then let me just pray for your week, man. Let's just pray that God goes before, blesses you in it, you know? It's okay. It's okay. When Paul says, you know, um, let all things be done for edification. It means let everyone come to church with a heart to build someone else up. That's what he means. Now, in verse 27, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to who? What did we learn last week in verse 2? For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. You can't feel like, well, man, I, got, I really wanted to share something with someone. Well, then don't speak in a tongue because now you're sharing with God. Okay? Now again, Small groups are the perfect environment to work on and flow in these dynamics. I'm a little uncomfortable with it. I've never really been a part of it, but I'd really like to step out and maybe see if God would want to use me in it. That small group's the great place to, to begin in that. Everyone has a chance to share. If it's on your heart to share in a tongue, when it's time is turned on you, then hey, go for it. But tongues aren't to dominate the group. He says, look, just two, you know, like maybe three people, like at the most, and, and not simultaneously, but sequentially, you know, each in order. And after the first person is finished, let's say they just have it in their heart, they say, guys, I don't know if there's an interpreter present, but it's just really, I have an unction on my heart to make an utterance, and, and you know, would you just kind of join with me and, 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 and give ear to me, and, and they go for it, and then we sit silently, there's no interpreter, no one has it in their heart of what's happening here, then look, um, he says, if anyone else kind of has that same unction and wants to make utterance, that's fine, just do so silently between you and God. Because at this point we recognize there's no interpreter, it's not gonna edify the gathering. Does that make sense? 
Okay, because you're not, you're not speaking to men at that point. You're, you're, speaking, you're speaking to God. We say, well, okay, pastor, then why do some churches have this general, let's all speak in tongues time? Well, that's a great question. And uh, the answer, honestly, in all transparency, is uh, I have no idea. You know, because it's not scriptural. Now, sometimes they'll have this kind of, uh, kind of run around and how they try and justify and rationalize and all that. But at the end of the day, you're reading what the Bible says right here. Okay? Um, it may be well-meaning. I'm not saying that someone doesn't have, you know, a well-intention. But uh, it's out of order biblically. Okay? Now, uh, in, in verse 29, he says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. In other words, you don't got to both speak at the same time. Oh, I, I believe God's putting something on my heart. I'm going to share it right now. No, he says, look, you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Guys, simple instructions to facilitate and maintain order. Tongues are to be regulated. And look at this, so is prophecy. The whole meeting isn't given over to either. Now, Paul obviously and appropriately is far more positive about prophecy publicly. But even still, he says, just keep it orderly. Just two folks that feel like the Lord's laying something on their heart to share, <coughs> excuse me, share openly. You know, just two, two or three. The idea here, guys, is that when we gather together collectively, be it in a small group, be it in a large group, whatever the case may be, that the gifts of the Spirit are not the focus of the gathering. Okay, we're to focus our time on the worship of God and the word of God. The gifts flow under God's direction around the focus upon worship and the word. Okay? And even with prophecy, we don't just receive it blindly. The leadership is to judge, right? Let two or three prophets uh, speak, and he says here, and the others judge, right? So the leadership is to judge and see if it bears witness. You know, perhaps a well-meaning individual receives a word from the Lord, and it was for them personally. We kind of talked about this jokingly, I think, a little bit last week. You know, maybe it was for them personally, but they share it with the body, or maybe God ministers something to their heart that's like for someone specifically. Maybe I have a word for Justin, like, but, I, but God doesn't say, Justin, go speak to Justin in my heart. But it, it's kind of like I haven't really given time to think about it, meditate on it. And so I just share it openly like it's for the whole body, right? And so it was a word for someone specifically, but not the general assembly. Or maybe it wasn't a word from the Lord at all. We're to test the spirits, well, by what measure? Well, uh, guys, by the standard of the written, revealed word of God. This is why we don't focus our time and energy around you know, what we believe God may be saying and sharing. Things can get weird that way. People can be well-meaning, but off, okay? 
That's why we focus our time on the revealed, written word of God, because God will never contradict himself. And so if someone speaks in a manner that doesn't line up with the word of God, we reject it. Uh, you know, lovingly, we're not branding you a false prophet. You see, we recognize your intention was good, but this was just isn't what the Lord isn't, you know, sharing this with us presently. You know, as the prophet Isaiah said, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. God hasn't revealed something to them, you see. So there's to be consideration, examination of what the individual has to say. Write it down, look it up later. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. The other thing, so not only is it, uh, if someone's sharing a word that they believe is, is a prophecy, uh, not only is it something that we're looking for, the balance in the written, revealed word of God, but we learned last week exactly what prophecy is, right? He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. So does it fall under this guideline as well? Does it build up? Is what the person's saying, is it encouraging? Is it uh, comforting? You see, God has given us tools by which to test. And let me tell you this, guys, never, and again, this is why and I had some things I wanted to share with you on this, but I left them out of my notes because I knew we were going to be running long on time. And it's not nothing, if I thought it was essential, I'd share with you. But just some experiences that people had had with these kinds of things. But I, let me just boil it down to this. Never abandon or compromise what you are sure of, okay? That is God's written word for that for which you are unsure of. That is a word of prophecy, someone just speaking openly and maybe... You know, it, it sounds great and all, but you just, you can't know for sure, you see. People can be well-meaning, but not always correct. If it's from the Lord, it'll strengthen you, it'll come to pass. If it's not, it won't. And guys, just, and I listen, I, when someone speaks a word and they believe it's a prophetic word for you, I, I even would discourage you writing it down and like keeping hold of it like that. It's okay if you do. I mean, I'm not speaking like, like the Bible says, don't write that stuff down. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm just saying all of a sudden you can start elevating that, hanging on to that, and like equating it kind of like with the written word of God. Like this is God's word to me. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Time will tell. It's like God knows and time will tell, right? Meanwhile, I'm going to keep my focus on the Lord, stay true to the written, revealed word of God, and if he has a plan for me or wants to move in me personally, he is faithful, he'll bring that to pass. Okay? Okay. Remember this too. By the mouth of two to three witnesses. So the word should bear witness. God will confirm his word to the heart of the leadership present at the meeting. Guys, even if it's scriptural, but it doesn't bear witness, it, it just may, and someone might even read something out of the Bible, um, and that's okay because it's God's word, but it may not be something that God really wanted to speak to the group at that time. You know, like this kind of divine time of this reading is just free. I mean, so, you know, having said all of that, Prophecy can be a tremendous blessing. It shouldn't be despised. I'm not trying to get anyone to be like, well, man, this is just, but just, just test it. Just hold it up to the word of God. See how it, how it bears out. Does that make sense? 
Okay, verse 32 and 33 should be highlighted in your heart, guys. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the Holy Spirit just took over and man, I just couldn't stop myself. I couldn't control myself. You know, the Holy Spirit may place an unction on your heart, but you have control. You can share, you can hold tight, you can wait until the time is appropriate. Remember Galatians 5 and verse 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is, and he goes down the list, and that last one gets us every time, doesn't it? Remember what it was? Self-control. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Not everyone has to speak. That's why he says, look, if you believe the Lord's revealing something to you while someone else is speaking, you can't just be like, I got to obey God right now. I got to start speaking right now. He says, no, no, just hold tight. Not everyone has to believe, you know, to, to, to speak the moment they believe the Lord's revealing something to them. The Holy Spirit's not going to force you to laugh uncontrollably. He's not going to force you to fall on the floor and writhe like kind of weirdly or anything like that. He will not override your ability to control yourself. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Guys, these are what we say in the modern vernacular, pro tips, right, on how to discern when the Spirit is moving in a meeting. And, you know, is the Holy Spirit kind of leading this and all? A godly service will reflect God's character. That sounds fair enough, doesn't it? The goal, verse 31, is that all may learn and be encouraged. Are you with me? Okay, let's move along here. Verse 34, he says, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor, you only thought the previous passage was problematic. And I get that. But allow me to remind you once more, okay, that any time we're studying these isolated passages, we need to be careful, don't we, to not allow the overarching context to escape us. Would you agree with me? We know that this is not a categoric command because Paul already expressed in chapter 11 the appropriate nature of women praying and prophesying and ministering in the church. Do you remember that? But also, if you remember right, Paul has been adamant about the fact that wives should honor their husbands in the corporate gathering. Do you remember that? be it in the way the wife may speak or, you know, dress or, you know, not being flirtatious with other men. You, you kind of, you get the idea. In this passage, Paul has said, let's continue to follow the flow. See, if we isolate this, this sounds like I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. But Paul has said that when one prophesies, others are to judge what's being said. And I think it's best to understand this in light of that, okay? So that what's being said is, wives, listen, when your husband steps up 
and shares a word of prophecy. He believes the Lord is moving him to share with the collective gathering, you see. Allow the leadership to be the ones to judge what he's saying. Don't embarrass him or dishonor him by saying, honey, I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't think that was from the Lord. You know, uh, don't, don't embarrass your husband. Don't be the one to speak out in a negative way. You see, that way, that is, that is shameful, you see. And if, you, if you're not sure that what he was saying is from the Lord and you feel like kind of chomping at the bit to say something, he just says, wait till you get home. If you want further clarity on what you believe he was trying to say or share, wait till you get home. Don't question him. Don't challenge him publicly. Honor him, you see. Now, I should also state that it seems that the early church kind of followed the protocol of the synagogues in that there you are in the, in the individual's home and the men would kind of sit on one side and the, the women would kind of sit on the other side. And now today, if you're not clear, maybe I've been sharing today and in my mind, man, I've just been absolutely crystal clear and all this, but it's been about clear as mud for you. And so there you are. All you got to do is you shoot a little text to your husband or whatever the case may be. And, and hey, man, what's this guy talking about, you know? And um, it doesn't distract anyone. But then, you know, if you wanted to, you know, ask your husband what's going on, I mean, there you are in a little group. There's 10 of you, and I'm sitting here, and I'm trying to share with you. And Amy's here, and Justin's here. And, he, and, and, and Amy looks over at Justin's like, you know, makes this motion like, what's this guy talking about? You know, uh, excuse me, could you maybe, you know, kind of a thing. And, and what Paul is saying is, look, don't be distracting, don't be disruptive. And honestly, that would be true for anyone. God is not the author of confusion. He says, just wait till after services, wait till you get out in the car, you know, that kind of a thing. Don't, don't dishonor your husband. Because you see, he's talking about uh, your wives and, and all of this and ask your own husband and, and all of that, Okay. He says, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only, or was it you only that it reached? Now, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things which I write to you are commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. What's happening here? Uh, Paul is exercising his apostolic authority in establishing the order of their service uh, publicly. He says, hey, you know, in case you're wondering, like, is this, I mean, did God's word originate with you? And the answer, of course, is no. They received it from Paul. And so he's putting a stop, a little ounce of prevention, right, to the would-be prophet in their group who would say, wait, I have a word from God. He's pleased with what we're doing. We don't have to worry about what Paul is saying. God is speaking through me. You know, this kind of a thing. Those are Paul's opinions. God has given us his word for this. Paul says, no. If you're truly a prophet, you're going to acknowledge these aren't my opinions. They're the commandments of the Lord. Right? And then he says, but if someone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Or another way that this has been rendered, if anyone ignores this, then just let that person be ignored, okay? Uh, if you're truly spiritual, you will acknowledge the authority of the word of God. That's what he's saying, all right? I don't know where Abby is, but we're gonna close here, Ab, if you wanna start making your way. Now look at verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues, 
Let all things be done decently and in order. Guys, God wants you to flourish. Uh, Don't despise or be reluctant of the gifts. Just be careful to honor the Lord in their use. Let all things be done. Let the gifts flow. Minister to one another. Share with each other in a manner that reflects the heart and the character of the Lord. It will edify the body and it will glorify God. Amen? All right, let's bow our hearts. God, we receive your word today. I pray, God, that you would give us a mind and a heart to do all that we do with the desire to edify others that you might be glorified in our lives. God, help us to be those folks who are willing to kind of step out of our comfort zone or our our kind of our own little safe space and maybe purpose to start showing up a little earlier, staying a few minutes late, or just being that blessing and encouraging other folks. And with that, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the need and a heart that wants to meet the need. So God, we just pray that you would have your way in this gathering. Lord, as we meet week after week, after month, after year, according to your grace. Father, that we would just be drawing closer and closer to you, being used more and more by you. And that, Lord, that people would just see you in this place. Guys, while we're here just kind of hanging out like this, I want you to realize that God wants to be glorified in your life. And that begins with him being in your life. And so if you've not surrendered your life to him, then I have a question for you. Why not today? Why not? God loves you. God, it's his desire to rescue you from the power and the penalty of your sin. And so I'm encouraging you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And so if the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart, then I want to give you an opportunity to to say, you know what, I'm ready to open that door and to surrender my life to Him. Jesus Christ died upon a cross for you, was buried, and three days later, He rose again from the dead so so that by believing, you might have life in His name. If you've not received that life, but you want to, today's a day for you. Would you just raise your hand and let me see you? And if I say, if I, I'll, I see you and I see you, yeah. Anyone else? Today's a day for you. You can put your hand back down. Anyone else? Guys, don't, uh, I just encourage you not to miss out on your, on your moment. Maybe everybody here is in that place of just, kind of marinating in the Lord and loving on the Lord and that's awesome. But I just want to give you that that moment. Is there anyone else I can pray for? See you, buddy. Okay. 
Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I pray for the hands that come up, the hearts that open up, Lord. Father, that you would just fill each heart. Father, with your power, your presence. Lord, we just, we, we just, we're drawn to you. And I thank you for the promise of your word that as we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And so we say, have your way in us. Lord, we want to honor you with our lives. God, you are so good and you are greatly to be praised. And so now, God, we would ask that as always, you might just uh, go before us and ordain our thoughts and our conversations. Use us for your glory. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, why don't we rise to our feet? Also, if you are... um, uh, being baptized today... My wife's going to bring a some sh- box of shirts up here. We'd love to give you one. Um, so when we dismiss, just come right on up here. It's my intention to be at the creek by noon. Okay, just pow, straight up noon. And uh, so, you know, if you need to change, you're welcome to do that. And again, we're just going to take... I will take 249 to I-44 down to Main Street, hang a left on Main, go past the roundabout over the hill to grandmother's house, and then we hang a right at, at Wildcat Entry there, and it just winds down to the creek. And as Billy was saying, you can just follow the caravan or, or, or whatever. And guys, I also want to say this. I'm careful to um, keep our time here focused and centered on, on the gospel and on the word of God. But I don't want you to think that I'm ignorant or unattentive or insensitive or uncaring about political events. Um, you know, we need to pray for this nation. We need to pray for our administration. You know, uh, I'm sure I'm in a group of people that feels fairly passionately that Things just have not been handled wisely. Um, But we're to pray for those who are, you know, in these positions. Um, And so I I encourage you, and it's okay to feel that sense of frustration. I mean, we all do. We're like, Lord, you know. Um, But what we do with that is important, you know. And, uh, and, and that's why like, I, I try to be careful because I know that political things can be highly sensitive and highly divisive. Even in a, in a mixed kind of a room or you know, most people maybe think this way but a couple think that way and you say this and then you isolate them and then they don't hear from you, won't receive from you, they think you're an idiot, whatever the case may be. But the gospel message, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And, and I try to keep my focus on things that will benefit you eternally uh, rather than distract you in, in things politically, you know. Um, but, as I say, we, we need to pray, right? And if you need prayer, then we encourage you that you make your way down as, as we um, 
dismiss and we'll pray for you and we'll head down to the creek. But let's, let's bow our hearts and, uh, and, and let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we just, again, we're, we're thankful for your word um, and, and Lord, the timely nature of it and the encouraging and, and transforming power of it. And we pray, Lord, that it would find good soil you know, in, in our hearts for, for fruit to be brought forth. Lord, we, we want to take a moment and we, we do want to pray, God, for this nation. God, we want to pray for our current administration. Lord, we don't understand. You know, we, we, um, we know that ultimately uh, you are sovereign. And uh, Lord, that, uh, you know, you're the one who is moving the world stage. But, and, and, and Lord, we even see how things are lining up prophetically and there's a certain sense of urgency and excitement that, that finds us in all of that. But Lord, it also pains us when we see men and women and young, young men and women in our military uh, paying that ultimate price, which in a way that would seem to be, at least to us, so unnecessary. So we pray for every family, Lord, every, every door that got that knock or that will get that knock in the coming days or weeks. And so we just lift up our military, Lord, and, uh, and the different men and women that are being you know, inserted into that conflict. And, and again, we just pray, God, that, uh, well, we pray, Lord, that you would just come. We see it, Lord, and we're, we're kind of brought low by it. Even so, we say, come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, that you would keep that sense of urgency in our hearts uh, to share the gospel because we don't know when our friend or that fellow soldier or whoever the case, you know, what, we, we, you know we never know when we're gonna see you face to face. And Lord, that's the reality. We take life for granted. But I pray, Lord, that you would just give us a boldness to share the hope that we have in you with those around us. Wake us up, God. And now, Lord, we just pray that this time of uh, uh, encouraging the baptism, the folks that are going to be baptized, would just be a neat time, Lord, of celebratory, uh, Lord, just renewal. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. We'll be leaving here in just a little bit.